right, we are back. That was one more from the shelters with bird watching. And standing by to join me is my last guest, Rebecca Mackay. She's just written this great book called The Great Believers. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning. I really enjoyed reviewing your book. If you could tell the listeners a little bit about the backstory of what led you to write this. Yeah. So, um, yeah, The Great Believers is, um, if you read it now, um, is set in 1980s Chicago at the height of the AIDS epidemic there and partly in modern-day Paris. Um, But I started originally with something that's become a subplot in the book, which is um, some stories about the art scene um, in Paris around the time of World War I. And I was really struck by the parallels between that time in Paris, the time, you know, artists coming there, it's this great Mecca, finding chosen family, and then the, you know, decimation of World War One and influenza. The parallels between that and a city like Chicago, um, you know, in the 80s as a Mecca for LGBTQ people, especially young people coming, um, and then AIDS comes through. And, um, and then the aftermath of both um, both calamities, um, even as we're still living very much, you know, uh, with AIDS around us, um, the aftermath of, you know, the height of it. Those parallels really fascinated me, and that's where I started. It's unbelievable to think that 37 years ago, that was, what, 1981, uh, this AIDS crisis was, what, just beginning? And then the Joint United Nations Program on HIV and AIDS reports that 22 million people have died of it. It's actually 35 million. 35? Wow. 35, yeah. You know, a million people a year are still dying of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, of course, largely in Africa, um, which, you know, is a reason but not an excuse that we aren't paying as much attention over here. You're an incredible researcher because you spent years, you know, digging up all this information. What made you decide to go with a fiction book versus a nonfiction? Yeah, um, that's what I write. Um, I, I got better at research as I did this book, but um, I am a short story writer and a novelist. That's what I do, and that's the way my brain works. Um, it was alarming to me as I researched to realize that there is no big, comprehensive nonfiction account of the AIDS crisis in Chicago. Um, there are, you know, the, and the big ones that are out there are covering New York, San Francisco, um, which is very important, but Chicago is not even in the index of some of those books. So um, it, I feel like I need to recruit people at this point to write the nonfiction account of Chicago and of other cities because yes. um, it's very different stories than, right. than what happened on the coasts. Um, and hopefully, you know, any place that I got wrong that someone feels like they, that doesn't reflect their experience or some of the many, many things I had to leave out will maybe inspire people to at least tell their own stories um, in, you know, in public form, maybe in, in book form, in film form, um, but maybe to get some real uh, comprehensive nonfiction out there as well. It's really interesting how there are so many parallels between our current health care crisis and the height of the AIDS crisis in the 80s. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it, it's two things. On the one hand, it's parallels, and on the other hand, it is literally still happening, <laughs> um, where we have, you know, we have a million people in America living with HIV, and at the end of last year, Trump went and fired all the remaining members of the HIV-AIDS yeah. Advisory Council. Oh. I can't see that happening if that were any other disease okay, that a so million people in America were living with that were this 
um, you know, <laughs> encompassing this this dangerous. Um, so you know, some of it's not even parallel. Some of it's just you know convergent, or it, you know, it's it's right on top of it. Um, uh, but the parallels, yeah. I mean, there's you know, it, we are constantly going to be looking at situations where um, people in power mm-hmm. and you know, people with money, which includes um, insurance companies, right. um, are going to be denying health care and denying agency to our most marginalized, most vulnerable populations. People might think, oh, maybe it's died down a bit, but it's still going on. I mean, it's just unbelievable when you really, I mean, you obviously did your homework. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that um, I did in the past tend to think of this as a past tense crisis. And, of course, that's the book I've written. Um, I'm writing about, um, you know, 30 years back. Um, But it was important for me to get in there, um, the fact that this is ongoing. And um, although my book is set, you know, largely in the 80s, it's also set in the modern day. And there's a woman that my main character in the modern day um, runs a, you know, fictionalized but based on a real place resale shop in Chicago that benefits HIV housing um, and, you know, is, is thinking about the, the global crisis. Right. Um, but we do tend to think of it as past tense, and it's been funny to me as I've encountered people and they've asked, you know, what my new book is about, and I'll say it's about the AIDS crisis in Chicago, and I haven't given them a time frame. But oh. they'll say, oh, I remember that. I was living there then, um, and just assuming that I must be talking about the past. I know. It's unbelievable. I was. Um, I want to also bring up that I was really intrigued by, you know, the, the travels to Paris and there's a cult that this uh, daughter, the character in the book, gets involved in. What was your whole process like for researching that? Yeah. Um, so, and to be clear, the, the cult was in, um, just so people aren't confused, the cult is in Colorado, and then she flees the cult and ends up in Paris. Okay. So it really was an American cult that I was trying to write about. Um, so I have to be a little cagey here for a certain reason, which is that um, I've learned that... Um, Cults make a lot of their money off of litigation and off of suing people for slander or libel. So um, I have to be very careful. But what I can say is that I did research a specific cult um, in America and changed several details. Actually, researched more than one cult, so it's a little bit of a combination. Um, But um, most of my research was, you know, um, on the Internet, uh, managed to find a lot of stuff, but I also, and again, I'm going to be very careful here, um, yeah. the cult that I was researching operates a couple of um, public establishments that I was able to visit and um, kind of meet and see some of these people, but that's probably as much as I can say without getting sued. Okay, all right, and and by the way, why did you choose uh, Paris? Well, yeah, so, you know, originally I really was struck with these um, parallels between, you know, 1920s Paris and modern Chicago um, and, the you know, the decimation of World War One, the decimation of AIDS, which is something that I play with throughout the book. Um, and so when I introduced these contemporary sections into the book, or, well, it was contemporary when I was writing it, which was 2015. I would, 2015 now feels like a lifetime ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it felt important for me for things to come back full circle and to land in Paris again. Um, it meant, I, you know, what I didn't realize as I was sitting there in the fall of 2015 and writing about Paris in the fall of 2015 that Paris in the fall of 2015 was about to become a very interesting place. 
Um, there's, you know, the, the terror attacks on the Bataclan Music Hall yes. and the aftermath of that, which I um, happened as I was writing. And oh I originally thought that I might need to move that section of the book away from them, but ultimately left it, left it there and wrote um, those events into the background of the book because it, it felt thematically appropriate. Here's the world, again, coming in with, you know, horribleness when people are just trying to live their own lives. Was there ever a time when you thought, this is so heavy? Like, how... Do, all right, here, let me back up. Sometimes <laughs> I, I ask writers this question. When you started this journey, did you have this one direction in mind, or did it evolve based on all the emotions yes. and everything else you're experiencing? Right, yeah, no, it completely evolved. It really... Um, it really originally was about the Paris art world of the 1920s. Ah. Um, and I had this woman at the end of her life. Um, I figured that would be the 80s, just mm-hmm. some basic math. She couldn't live much past then. And she's, um, she was an artist model in Paris, and she's trying to donate these works that she has to a museum. So I figured, okay, now I have an art guy, too, in the 80s. I'm really interested in the parallels between these two generations. An art guy in the 80s, maybe AIDS will be um, in the background. Maybe it'll be a subplot of what's going on in his life, something I've always been interested in, always wanted to write more about. Um, But as I began my research and as I thought about the book um, for, you know, a few months before I began to write, the gravity of it really shifted over for me, yes. and I realized that really AIDS was my story, mm-hmm. and um, the the lost generation, the Paris art world of the twenties, um, that was really more of a uh, you know a light motif. Um, so um, you know, I think you have to be free as you write to just see where the story is going to go. Um, it's going to find its own course like a river, and you just got to go with it. Yeah. I always say you got to look at the themes that pop up and be willing to go down those paths. Right, exactly. And, and you can't be in control of those. I think that as students of literature, you know, we sit there and, you know, a good English teacher is going to start you off with, okay, let's look at the symbolism. That's not the way you write. You no. don't start by writing by looking at the meaning and the symbolism. That floats out of it later, you know. Yes. Um, in the same way that when we dream, we dream in symbolism and in meaning all night long, but we do it subconsciously. And if you just let go of it with your work, those things just float up out of your subconscious. You don't have to think about them. So, Rebecca, I know we have to wrap up soon, but at what point did you come up with this great title? Oh, so yeah, before I began writing, actually, um, I was reading a lot about the art world of the 20s, and I was reading this wonderful book um, by Judith Mackrell, if I'm pronouncing it right, called Flappers, Six Women of a Dangerous Generation. Mm -hmm. Wonderful book. She, in that book, quotes F. Scott Fitzgerald as talking about his generation and saying, we were the great believers. So I set out to find this quote, and it's from a very obscure essay um, that was published posthumously where he's talking about um, the generation of men who, you know, had such optimism, such idealism, such youth, then they're sent off to World War I, the influenza comes through as well, and, you know, there they are at the end of it all, um, you know, completely depleted. And that's when they're, you know, that's when Gertrude Stein calls them the lost generation. Um, They're just trying to put the pieces back together. And um, that resonated for me so well, not only, of course, with the actual lost generation, but with this generation I'm talking about um, that lost 
so many men, so many young men to AIDS. Um, And so I I took that title, and then I also have a longer um, piece of that essay as the epigraph on the novel. And it's, it's it's a very optimistic title, and it kept, I think it kept me, the whole time I was writing, kept me asking, you know, what do they believe in and, and what hopes are they holding on to? And I think it kept the book from sinking into utter bleakness, you know. It's, yes. it's ultimately, I think, not a very depressing book right. in the end. And I think that title and the, the questions it made me ask are a lot of the reason why. Fantastic. Wow. Um, so we have to wrap, unfortunately, but people can go to your website to get more info, RebeccaMackay.com. Absolutely, yeah. And I just want to spell it for everybody, R-E-B-E-C-C-A-M-A-K-K-A-I.com. Rebecca, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. All right, if you missed any part of my conversation with Rebecca, it will be up on the show blog, but all her info and all the info I got about the book is up on my blog right now, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And that's a wrap for me. I'm Janine. You've been listening to Get the Funk Out, and I'll be back next week. If you want to find out about being a guest, you can just email me to janine, J-A-N-E-A-N-E, at kuci.org. If you missed any part of this, it will be up on the show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kci.org. And if you want to follow the show, I am on Twitter at moms underscore rock.